0: kind of mythical powers does a sun devil have we got to consider that
1: it's embarrassing but we are who we are we're not a very good team but we're three and one somehow and we got all the voters fools thinking we're pretty good
2: jaborski lane at 275 pounds showed a heck of a lot of athletic ability
3: Welcome to the Rotawire College Football Podcast. Nick Whalen here with John McKechnie. John, it is Wednesday november 6th um who's our sponsor this week i know we just keep losing sponsors at a rapid rate
2: uh we got we got hit up this week by alpha king so shout out to alpha king for uh, sponsoring the pod being our unofficial official sponsor this week uh you can hit up promo code alimony for 30 percent off your next two-ton shipment of alpha king that should make it through uh the year and also the nuclear winter
3: Alpha King just wants to remind you that if you don't order it, you're a wussy, and Mm -hmm. your father and grandfather are tougher than you. So uh, this is another one of our sponsors. Make sure you Google their uh, infomercial on YouTube. It runs about 45,000 times per minute on any ESPN network. Um, So make sure you're familiar with that product. Um, John, the Golden Gophers. I want to start here. Get no respect from the committee. The undefeated Minnesota Golden Gophers, uh, 17-17. in the college football playoff rankings, which were released last night uh, between games at the Champions Classic, which I I always... They've done this the last couple of years, um, and I always kind of feel bad for the college football crew that just has to like chill in the concourse with this kind of makeshift set um between games and and do a live a live reveal uh on a at a college basketball arena for yeah, some reason
2: the, yeah there's no more idyllic <laughs> no
3: backdrop
2: than madison square garden they're for way up college there yeah, they're on like yeah, the third top. deck for yeah, some reason and the only thing you really see in view is like the fruit juicer looking roof of the of the garden and yes. then just a bunch of rain like uh, new york rangers banners so nothing more college football than <laughs> msg and the raiders yeah. or rangers with also a college basketball backdrop going on i like very strange
3: i like the idea of merging the two most popular college sports and two college sports that espn is by far the most in on but it, it there's there's just like if they were putting the set out like on the court between games you know something like that or they, they you get the crowd involved i mean you have twenty thousand people there who a lot of a lot of them presumably care about these rankings you know like it just felt like they were stuffed in like the top corner of the arena for no reason whatsoever like at that point just do
2: it in the studio it's yeah the same show exactly do it in the studio so an odd just sort of jamming jamming things in that are sports related just because they're related yes. to sports i don't know exactly um but
3: anyway we'll run through
2: the top 10 in the rankings real quickly ohio state somewhat
3: of a surprise at number one lsu at number two alabama three penn state four clemson at number five Georgia 6, Oregon 7, Utah 8, Oklahoma 9, and Florida rounds out the top 10.
2: Well, I think the thing that stands out, um, I think coming into Tuesday afternoon, the, the general thought was, it will be some combination of LSU and Ohio State at the top it was just a matter of who um, LSU the stronger resume in terms of who they've played uh, and the better wins but I I have a hard time arguing against Ohio State being the number one team in the country right now I think that they have just completely ransacked every team that they've played against with gusto and fervor mm-hmm. I had a lot of coffee today so I'm, I'm using words but I,
3: yeah I kind of noticed that I was a little concerned <laughs>
2: But yeah, I mean, Ohio State just looks like an absolute wagon. And LSU, I understand the argument where it's like, how much better can can one's resume be through the first two months of the season in terms of the quality wins, uh, beating Florida, um, and then Uh, beating Auburn as well a couple of really good games and also you know scheduling up playing against Texas going to Texas Mm -hmm. and beating them hanging up a lot of points in the process so um, it's splitting hairs I don't think it makes a huge difference I think that it is clear that these are the two best teams Uh, when it comes to the you know rounding out the top four Penn State in there uh, at the number four that's the thing that probably catches most people's eye and then the you know I hate this because it just gives Clemson some uh, under di- some little old Clemson fuel that they, that they had previously run out of reserves on, and now that's like, oh, the committee doesn't respect us. It's like, well, you play in a division that's worse yep. than like the AAC has to offer. Like the yeah. the coastal they're, they're playing is in the worse. AFC East. It's so so bad. Be- it is like the AFC East where there, there's just no other competition. So um, I was kind of I laughed about. The idea of Clemson being number five, but at the same time, like 538, not my like favorite source of college football knowledge or anything, but uh, they have the, an 82% chance to make the playoff as it stands right now, and no one else is higher than 67%. So it really is an empty gesture, an empty challenge from the committee to Clemson. I don't think that this really means a whole lot.
3: No, and I mean, every year, I think these rankings are you know met with the most scrutiny these these first this first batch of the year week 11 um just because we haven't had them before and it's it's important to remember that we've never had like the four teams that are in quote unquote in the playoff in these first set of rankings actually finish as those four right um you know and it's easy to get bent out of shape about some of these but i think for the most part people were pretty rational um i think if you're a Clemson fan you know it's maybe a little bit of a, a slap in the face just because you're not getting the respect as the defending champion and you haven't lost you know i think that does mean something but you have to keep in mind that the committee's not weighing what happened last season at all you know in theory you're supposed to kind of just black that out and you're yep. starting you're starting fresh in week 1 so in some ways maybe you applaud the committee for doing that you know i think if if Clemson is is at 3 or 4 maybe you're carrying over some of the reputation um but everybody knows the truth that clemson if they win out is not going to be held out of the college football playoffs. so it really doesn't matter in the end um i would have gone lsu over ohio state um i mean I, ohio state was extremely impressive over wisconsin their their best win arguably might be cincinnati given how wisconsin has looked mm-hmm. um not necessarily their fault you know they didn't have a, a super tough non-conference early on but i think lsu beating florida beating auburn last week to me those two wins are better than than anything ohio state has to offer by far and they're really hurt by texas which was number 9 in the country at the time and was a really close game and if texas wins that game you know you know obviously lsu were not even having this conversation if they lose but Texas' season goes completely in the other direction. If they're able to hold on, you know, a game they lost by one touchdown, now they're unranked, and and that win has kind of lost its luster and really just kind of seems like a a B-type of a B-level type of win for LSU. But, um, and I know, you know, the more you learn about a team throughout the season, you have to adjust, but I, I don't think they're being properly rewarded i guess for for playing at texas in a really really tough game that they won and that felt like it meant a lot more at the time than it does now
2: yeah at the time that was a huge win and i still think like in a vacuum that was a very good win i think i think the texas has since hit the skids and i think that maybe they, they bought into their own hype a little bit too much and and losing that oklahoma game i think that they've been kind of deflated ever since then but um i think still at the time that was a very tough game that was hard fought texas i mean they scored a ton of points on lsu like that was no joke of a game at all so yeah that's that's really tough in i mean if texas of played wisconsin
3: on a neutral field i would pick texas yeah right I would, and, I and wisconsin is arguably right ohio state's best win yep
0: yeah. So That's I, I, thought, I
3: thought that was strange. Um, you know, I mean, Ohio State's been so impressive that it's, it's not like you can really mount a case for why they absolutely can't be number one, you know, one, two, three, wherever. I think that everybody at this point kind of agrees on that top three. And there are probably some people who would even throw Clemson in there still until they prove otherwise. And, and honestly, I'd be fine with that. How surprised were you that it was that it was Penn State to jump Clemson?
2: Um, I think if you asked me like a week or two ago, I would have been a little bit surprised by that. But uh, after doing some more thinking on it, it's like Penn Penn State does have quality wins and they they have the mix of quality wins and also dominant fashion wins. So they've pretty much checked every box to this point, uh, hanging on to beat Michigan, also beating Iowa on the road. That's been like traditionally the place where like... Mm -hmm teams from the east go to die go to go to have their playoff hopes dashed um so even though it wasn't a pretty game they they escaped iowa city with the win and i think that that means everything so penn state definitely deserving of that number four spot it's hard to make that argument against them other than like if you really put the four best teams in college football right now i'd probably still put clemson but there there is a bit of a leap of faith there because to this point penn state probably has performed Mm -hmm. better i just think that clemson has the higher ceiling Strangely, Michigan
3: kind of turning things around, um, and I, that might even be too strong, but basically Michigan whooping Notre Dame a couple of weeks ago, I think, in a roundabout way, has really benefited Penn State, which beat Michigan, uh, and now that looks like a much better win. Yeah, that's going to age really in Indiana, well the rest right, of the than way. it did at the time, and I, I think in a roundabout way, it helps Wisconsin, too, which... I thought it stuck maybe a little bit higher in the rankings than it should have at 13. Um, But they're, you know, they're ahead of a Michigan team that they beat. Um, So I think Michigan beating Notre Dame, which comes in at 15 now, you know, it it does help a lot of these big 10 teams and could eventually help Ohio state um, if it gets to it. But right right now it's looking extremely likely that the big 10 championship game winner, which we expect would be Ohio state or Penn state is, is kind of the automatic in, you know, there are some, crazy things that could happen but given the the how the schedule shakes down the rest of the way especially for penn state which doesn't have to play michigan again um and doesn't have to play wisconsin their their super bowl is basically this ohio state game coming up and if they win that game they're going to be in in really good shape to beat whoever comes out uh, of the other division in the big 10 which is right now looking like wisconsin or minnesota and Mm -hmm. the way that Penn State has played and especially the way that Wisconsin has looked jury's still out on Minnesota to some degree but you would expect Penn State to win that Big Ten title game Um, and certainly I think you'd expect Ohio State to win that Big Ten title game too. you know if they're able to get past Penn State. Uh, but the thing about Ohio State is they still have that Michigan test at the end of the year, and they'll be heavily favored and rightfully so, assuming they get by Penn State. But they kind of have that one extra step that Penn State maybe doesn't.
2: Right. It, it it parallels a little bit what Alabama has the rest of the way versus what LSU does, because LSU probably has played the toughest part of its schedule to this point, where it, and it'll end the season with A and M, whereas Alabama has to go to Auburn. Auburn famous for you know their ability to just create chaos in the college football playoff landscape in general. I mean, two years ago, that Iron Bowl, that was about as sound of a regular season beating as I can remember. Alabama yep. being served, uh, on Johnson and everybody just kind of running all over that Alabama team. Um, so Ohio State having to play that, that extra tough one uh, coming up against Michigan. And like we were saying, Michigan has seemingly turned a corner here, and that game is going to be in the big house. So that's not a gimme for ohio state i, I agree where it'll probably be a, a double digit point spread in that one but it wouldn't be the craziest thing in the world for michigan to somehow pull that off
3: if wisconsin can lose that illinois ohio state <laughs> can lo- can lose that michigan which you know beat notre dame by like four
2: touchdowns so ran um, all over them they've they've found the secret sauce with their with their run game mm-hmm. it look it looks like they ran all over uh maryland this past week as well yep
3: Yeah, good point by you uh, about LSU and Alabama schedule-wise. They, of course, face each other on Saturday, which is game of the year, hands down, in college football. Cannot wait for that, 230 uh, our time on CBS. After that, it's Ole Miss, Arkansas, AM. So if, for LSU, that is, and I think AM is the one that you point to as maybe maybe the one that could trip them up. Uh, Alabama has Mississippi State, Western Carolina, and Auburn. So of those three, you know, I think Western Carolina is the one that you look sure, at as sure. a potential Sure, you saw loss. the
2: trouble that they gave uh, Georgia in basketball <laughs> last night,
3: right? Uh, but if you, if you kind of want to game this out, uh, the winner of LSU Alabama, of course, has a massive advantage to get to the sec title game because those teams are in the same division i still think georgia is in a really good spot to be honest with you i, I think there's a you know two loss sec ch- tam excuse me two loss sec champion georgia i know you think their chances would be iffy to get into that um but if they are able to to run the table the rest of the way and then you know obviously would probably have to win the the sec title game very yeah. much in play I think it would be very tough to keep them out. So we're kind of trending towards a scenario where, once again, the SEC could have two teams in. Um, but we've seen things kind of shake out in in strange ways before over these last few weeks.
2: Yeah the craziest like the absolute chaos scenario would be Georgia winning the winning the rest of its games including the SEC championship game then what would the committee do with a one loss either Alabama or LSU whose only loss came to the eventual SEC champion in the SEC championship game. But then doesn't
3: have the opportunity to get that extra win that the SEC champion would have.
2: Right so it just that that's absolute chaos scenario I, I imagine whoever comes out of the west will end up winning the sec championship game so that will that will in and of itself take care of itself but it does beg the question what happens to the loser of saturday's game Uh, you know if they if they run it out the rest of the way and you know blow who is left out of the schedule or left on their schedule out of the water do we see an alabama situation from two years ago where they didn't play in the SEC championship game and while they didn't get the chance to win the SEC in that regard, they also didn't have the chance to get that second loss. And mm-hmm. with that, that vaulted Alabama into that number four spot and it kept out an Ohio State team right. that actually won the Big Ten, won its own conference that mm-hmm.
3: year. Yeah, I mean it, it, it's kinda you really have to kinda rack your brain to keep all these scenarios in play when it comes to the SEC. Um I, I do think that it almost is the most fun scenario where the loser of Alabama LSU you know, kind of has to stand pat. And then the winner of that game ends up losing to Georgia, where you'd have three one loss teams who have in some ways kind of all beaten each other. Um, I think that's a dangerous spot to be for Alabama because of the lack of quality wins. Whereas let's say Alabama beats LSU, goes on to the SEC title game, whatever happens there, you know, Alabama or Georgia gets in. Um, Let's say Georgia wins that game. Georgia would have a loss, a bad loss to South Carolina, but a win over a presumable number one Alabama in the SEC title game. It would be really hard to keep Georgia out. Alabama's only loss would be then to the number three or four team in the country, Georgia. They would have that win over LSU, but they wouldn't have much else. Whereas LSU would have the one loss being to Alabama, but they've also bankrolled these wins over, you know, better teams than Alabama has. So I I think that would just create a, a extremely chaotic scenario where, in some ways, there'd be a case for three SEC teams, but there's no way I, I could see that happening. No,
2: it, it's got to max out at two. And I think you know, there, there's a lot of speculation as to what the way the committee wants to like set set the table, I guess, in a way. And I think one kind of minor statement being made here, once you get outside that top six, is how much respect they have for the Pac-12. And in a time where I feel like the national discourse, at least maybe maybe it's starting to get louder the, mm-hmm. these past couple of weeks, but I think. For Early October, late September, the assumption was that the Pac-12 was going to be a non-factor in in this playoff race. But with Oklahoma taking that bad loss, they have a long way uh, to get themselves back into the conversation. Mm -hmm. I think we see with Oregon being seven and Utah being eight, there being two top 10 teams that are potentially on that collision course for the Pac-12 championship game, that it's going to be hard for the committee to leave out a one-loss Pac-12 champion. It seems like that is a spot that's almost being reserved here, potentially. So what
3: what does Oregon or Utah need then? I mean, what what is their best case scenario? If we're let's say we're willing to pencil Clemson in, they went out. I mean, it's it's I think best case is Clemson loses somewhere along the way and they're just knocked out altogether. Yeah, but, I think
2: they are on thin ice in that sense. Yeah, I, I
3: don't I don't think one loss Clemson gets in. I really don't. Um, the, the you know the SEC is getting at least one. So let's say Clemson and one of the SEC teams, and then I think one I think the Big Ten still gets one. It's it's hard for me to imagine. Ohio State losing twice over these last four games. Penn State losing twice. Let's say it's Ohio State. That's three already. You know, then then you know Oregon to me is is still a step behind Georgia in terms of what Georgia can do. You know, if, if both teams win out, I think Georgia's the team that gets in. Of course, they would have the SEC title. That means more. Um,
2: Oregon still needs some help, and, and so does Utah. So they both are sitting here with, with one loss, right? So if they both enter the Pac-12 championship game with one loss. Mm-hmm. Uh, You know, I think the winner that comes out of that, especially if it's Oregon who would have won 12 consecutive games after losing week one to a power five opponent in Auburn to start things out. It'd be, I think it'd be kind of crazy to leave Oregon out of it at that point. If the, if they end up running the table yeah. and they beat a one-loss Utah, if you if if the Pac-12 does continue to like cannibalize itself the way it has to this point, I mean like USC beating Utah earlier in the yeah. season is a good example of that, or like Cal beating Washington earlier on. Uh, Washington's kind of falling apart though a little bit. Um, I think if things stay the course, then the Pac-12 has a very good case here.
3: Yeah, I, I think. I almost, you know, as Wisconsin's not getting in, so I don't really care anymore uh, and from a reading interest, but it, that scenario we laid out with all those with all three SEC teams having one loss and then having to compare them to a one-loss Pac-12 champ like we didn't even factor that into the equation i mean that's that could be right. kind of the ultimate doomsday scenario
2: yeah because then the committee does run that like pr risk of yeah. like just carrying the sec's water even though the i believe the yep. committee chairman is oregon's ad it's right. it's all very complicated i heard
3: they said on the telecast last night that he walks out of the room when they discuss oregon so very big of he, him
2: you know he has that room bugged <laughs> yeah, to I'm the like, hilt
3: <laughs> um yeah i uh i thought i thought that was funny but yeah, I mean, it, I think the ultimate debate could end up being, you know, let's say Alabama loses to LSU and doesn't ever have a chance to avenge that loss, um, you know, against, not against LSU, but against another team like Georgia in the SEC title game. Does that one loss Alabama against a one loss Oregon, which in theory would have won the Pac-12 title, like that could be a very real decision or one loss LSU.
2: Yeah. So in in this scenario, are we talking about a one loss non-conference champion, Alabama? Right. Um, I think... You'd give it to Oregon in that in that stage if Oregon won the Pac-12. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, I mean it's fairly likely that one of those teams is going to run the table. They would have Oregon a better non.
2: Them. They basically have a better non-conference than what uh what Alabama like yeah. Alabama's like big non-con is Duke. Yeah,
3: well you know, <laughs> Cutcliffe's got the boys going. Um, in the Big Ten, I mean, the winner of Penn State, Ohio State, like we said, is in really good shape to be in, especially if it's Ohio State. Um, you know, I, I think Ohio State's just clearly the better team right now they're the team i would have more faith in the lsu bama winner also like we said in really good shape but you know the sec title game kind of stands as that issue um you look a little bit deeper florida's at number 10 if for them to really enter the conversation they need they they basically need one thing to happen and that's georgia to slip up against missouri or a and
2: i think it would just be missouri because then i think georgia's out of division games and mm-hmm. the division is is what counts for for you know winning but they would, the would have East, the
3: head-to-head right? tie break, right over uh, florida
2: right so georgia already has that so i guess georgia already has the sec east wrapped up then
3: well in theory yeah but what that's what i'm saying for florida to get it to play its way into the sec title game they need georgia to lose you know against missouri or AM.
2: but i th- i think uh it would just be the divisional record that it, that would count against georgia so georgia has the one Divisional, yeah. So Georgia just needs to lose to Missouri. If Georgia loses to Missouri, then they somehow then they are now out of the conversation because Florida only is going to end up with one divisional loss. You would imagine, you would assume okay. that you would imagine that they're going to uh, beat Vanderbilt. But yeah, Georgia having that second divisional loss, the one against South Carolina and one against Missouri, would put them out of the East race. Then if Florida takes care of business, so basically it all comes down to this weekend against a gimpy Kelly Bryant. Um, for georgia to clinch the east i think they should be fine
3: wait so i've I been mean, you would you would know better than me you're an sec guy but what you're saying georgia's four and one right now florida's four and two with one of those two losses coming to georgia if georgia were to lose but they only they only have one divisional loss and so does and that counts ahead of head-to-head no not necessarily but like if they like if they both finish six and two wouldn't georgia have the advantage because they beat florida
2: but to take the um, take like the, the Al- or the auburn loss out of like their com- out of their conference record because we're talking about the division. Okay. So so both Georgia and Florida have one divisional loss right now. Georgia obviously has the sure. tiebreaker over Florida, so if they end up with the same divisional record, Georgia will end up advancing, but if Georgia right. picks up that second divisional loss and Florida uh, keeps it going the rest of the way, okay. then Florida would only have one divisional loss and that would get them interesting. In.
3: Okay. Yeah. Weird that that's not that's not noted on the standings page. But okay, that makes sense. Um, but yeah, either way, Florida needs Georgia to slip up. Yes. And that's kind of really their only shot because Florida. And I mean, unless there's just complete chaos and Arkansas beats Alabama and LSU <laughs> slips up against or you know Western Carolina gets Alabama, whatever. Florida's just not going to have the opportunity, and they need to win the SEC title game, you would think, to get into the playoff they would having need to two like, losses already.
2: They would need to like just absolutely boat race in the SEC championship game to, yeah. to really be able to make a case because yep. I, I think it would look a lot like – uh the like the 2015 and 2016 florida teams are just like they won the east because no one else was any good and they mm-hmm. just kind of got sacrificed at the altar of alabama for yeah. two years in a row that's what it would probably end up looking mm. like uh, honestly all things considered if florida were to make it to atlanta i just don't yep. see that happening to begin with
3: yeah i mean ironically enough i mean there are a couple teams behind florida in the rankings that in theory, at least have a better chance at making the playoff. That would be like Baylor is at 12. They're 8-0, um, a team that in some ways, you know, you could say controls its own destiny. And then Minnesota, which <laughs> technically does control its own Folks. destiny. If Minnesota wins out, it's going to the playoff. They're 8-0. They come in at 17. Uh, this, this was almost maybe the biggest, like, statement positioning, I thought, by the committee um, to put an undefeated Power 5 team that granted has played almost nobody and has three non-conference wins against terrible teams by a combined 15 points um but to rank five or six two lost teams ahead of minnesota uh, i thought was a little bit comical
2: yeah that that was a bit much and and trust me like i agree that their resume to this point has been laughable but but I'd say since September, since they wrapped up the, the non-conference portion of their schedule, which admittedly was ugly. I mean, yes. ugly wins against South Dakota State and Fresno State uh, needing overtime. Georgia Southern barely escaping that one. Minnesota's been mopping up against whoever they've played in the Big Ten to this point, and the, the offense is really clicking. I think like by the numbers, they have a top-10 offense in, in s and The defense a little bit behind it, like thir- like Ranking just outside the top thirty, but still uh, a really strong uh, complete team overall that I think you could make the case is getting better and better every single week here so this this week will say a lot I think if I don't expect Minnesota to win this one, but if Minnesota can at least hang tough with Penn State, I think it would say a lot about the direction of that program overall really? because it Everyone is kind of just laughing about how they've made it to 8-0, and it it is funny. Like It's just insane uh, how easy that path has been. But if if that sort of complete team aspect that uh, has been showing up in recent weeks actually translates against a tougher opponent, even though Mm -hmm. it is at home, um, I think that would say a lot.
3: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think Illinois looking a little bit frisky and getting that win over Wisconsin and, you know, Minnesota beating Illinois 40 to 17 earlier in the year, you know, beefs up the resume a little bit. I, I think as bad and disappointing as Nebraska has been, like that, that still is kind of their signature win so far, which maybe says more about the schedule than anything right. else. But yeah, I mean, they. It's not really their fault that three of their by far toughest games, Penn State, Iowa, Wisconsin, come in a four-week stretch. So we'll, we'll find out quite a bit more uh, about Minnesota starting this week at, at 11 a.m. Um, we'll hit on some things from Week 10 real quickly before we get into DFS. I mean, as we said last week, this was a pretty down week in terms of the actual games, but we did get some off-the-field action. Willie Taggart out at FSU. Uh, giant buyout. Doesn't matter. FSU pays it. <laughs> Um, I'll ask you what, one, what's next at FSU and two, was this the right time to make this call? I thought
2: the timing was a little bit weird, but I, no matter what, I would have been on board with Florida state canning Taggart after two years. Like, you know, there's something to be said for a program that I would say is a top 10 job in Florida state. Um, they don't need to tolerate lean years like they a down year here and there sure but i mean taggart coming in immediately tanking this team to missing the missing a bowl for the first time since i think i've been alive um and then this year uh th- some people have been making the argument that like they're they're improving it's like i mean that's a total like dead cat bounce type of argument like florida state literally couldn't have been worse this year than they were last year it just like that could not have possibly happened. So, of course they're going to like the numbers are going to show them improving a little bit this year, but 20 games not a big sample and again that that's, you know, a huge buyout to be paying off of a guy that just coached 20 games for you and basically ended up making like 2 million per game is is what it all kind of mm-hmm. boiled down to when that when that contract settlements all said and done. What more did you need to see from Taggart to make you think that this that he had this program heading in the in the right direction i think even though it feels like it, on the surface a, a you know a short hook for for taggart at 20 games man there was no real pulse that this program was going to get back to where florida state should be so it's tough to swallow that that much money but i think it was the right call they do it does set them up to where they need to nail this next hire. You don't want if you're Florida State to run into another like Tennessee situation where yeah. they're still you know paying off Butch Jones while like Butch Jones's contract while trying to get this new coach uh, all settled up and, and ready and, and Jeremy Pruitt. So you don't want that level of
3: mm-hmm.
2: bad contracts hanging over your athletic department. So they need to crush this next hire, and that is the biggest question mark to me.
3: Yeah, I'm with you. I think they are they're kind of in danger of being that next USC, next Texas. Um, I, I can't imagine it'll get as bad as Tennessee, which, I mean, you and I, we we kind of remember the tail end of Tennessee being Tennessee, mm-hmm. you know, the T Martin years. But really since then, Tennessee has had like one good year where they really kind of look like there might be something at Florida state at least strung together, uh, you know, six double-digit win seasons in seven years. They had the national championship, and you can coast off that national title for a while, as we've seen teams like Tennessee do. I mean, mm-hmm. Tennessee is still, you know, capital T Tennessee because of that title. And, you know, I, I think we've seen big-time brands can can maintain that status, you know, like a Texas. Like, Texas is always going to be Texas, but... You know, to some degree, they haven't proven it on the field since 2006. No, they they had that one national title game appearance where Colt McCoy got hurt, and that was it. And that fades away really, really quickly. And it seems like forever ago that Jameis Winston led them to that title, and that was only six years ago. And it seems like the sky is just, you know, careening in in Tallahassee and. Like you said, you can afford. You can come back from one bad coaching hire. I think in some ways there's an argument to be made that cutting off early maybe helps you. You know, the last thing you want to do is give that guy an extra year, and it goes even worse the next year. You set yourself back in recruiting another year. Um, And I think that's part of it too. Is if, if if a coach is underperforming in his first or second year on the field, but you can kind of see where things are going in the long term, you're bringing in top three, top five classes. You know, maybe you're willing to kind of extend that a little bit, but Florida State had the 19th ranked class in 247 this past year, and they're on pace right now for the 19th ranked class in 2020. So, you know, it's not like they had these five star guys coming in that you're worried. If we fire the coach, maybe we we fire these players as well. Essentially, Uh, I think that's part of it, where like they didn't feel good about the recruits coming in anyway. So, like in college football, you know, in college basketball, it's like this too. If you fire a coach it's not just about the performance. You have to think about what it means yeah, for recruiting, what it means for not just the next recruiting cycle, but for the next few years, prospects that you've been working on for the last two or three years, all of a sudden a coaching change might as well just throw you I, out of the discussion.
2: I mean, uh, you know, I can relate to that big time when, when Georgia when fired Mark recruited? Richt. <laughs> Close. Um, <laughs> when I was yelling at clouds at a different time in my life. Uh, so 2015... The, mark Richt, another kind of embarrassing season showing this sort of glass ceiling at georgia another nine and three season another year of being a good man and so on and so forth (laughs) but but the the argument for keeping him was jacob eason right that was like basically the entire argument it was it was completely married to this quarterback from the state of washington uh, coming to the program and if we fire Mark Richt then we're gonna basically n- have no chance at getting Jacob Eason we are gonna screw this up uh, and then that's gonna really set us back Florida State doesn't really have the recruiting cachet right now to to even try to like pull on to Taggart like Taggart who was billed as a great recruiter uh, just had like you said here with the last two seasons hasn't really done that much it, that was sort of an, an offshoot there the, the Eason comparison but it, it goes to your point there that that recruiting can uh kind of keep a school attached to a coach yeah. in a way maybe more than it should and just i think someone at AM was kind of like that for a while too where it's it just
3: this is the year this is the year this is the year and at, at some point no matter what recruits you're bringing in if the coach isn't
2: getting it done it, it's not going to reflect nope exactly and you know it's it's crazy how quickly it's all gone downhill at florida state i think if you look at the 2016 uh, season they were really really good that year and they ended up uh, playing in the Orange Bowl and they beat a really good Michigan team in that Orange Bowl and you figured that that following year with DeAndre Francois entering his second year as the starting quarterback it kind of felt like Florida State that that game against Alabama was was potential for a launching point of Florida State like you know continuing to be uh, a true power. And when Francois blew out his knee in that game, that sort of marked the end of this period, um, end of that period, and the start of this one that, you know, through Jimbo's departure up through these first two years of Taggart has kind of hung over this program. Mm-hmm.
3: At the end of the day, though, Florida State <clears throat> is always going to be Florida State. When you have that history, it takes, I, I was going to say, it takes decades really to shape that reputation. You know, not that any school wants to do that, but. I mean they might even be to the point where they're they're always going to be Florida State. You know, they could, they could, you know, keep this up for 15 more years and there's still going to be hope and there's still going to be boosters and people are still going to pay uh to to kind of make things right there, but I mean you're looking now at you kind of starting over this cycle where you win 12 games, 14 games, 13 games, 10 games, 10 games and then the last 3 years have been 7 5 4. You're kind of mired in this for at least one more year, you would think. I mean, mm-hmm. there's not other than urban meyer there's not just an instant program saver out there at all and i I don't think urban meyer is going to florida state
2: yeah i don't i don't think that urban meyer would do that i think that even he would would admit admit the bad optics of that um and then i I know that the hot rumor has been uh bob stoops but how could he leave the xfl behind you know
3: yeah i don't i mean i don't think (laughs) you leave the xfl under any circumstances but i mean
2: mark stoops has been rumored yeah we we were talking
3: about this this morning the the names that are coming up for i mean this is a bona fide top 10 job and some people would probably rank it as high as maybe end of the top five um given the recruiting base and all that but it's just a weird year for this to happen. there's not an obvious coach there's not a you know i mean a few years ago we had like the scott frost types who that, that obviously hasn't worked out quite as well as people thought but there were three or you know some in some cycles there are three or four young coaches who you feel really really good about you know handing a program off to a lincoln riley type even like I don't know who that guy is right now.
2: Yeah, I don't. I don't either. And you look at you know some other programs in in the Power Five that um, have been doing really well for themselves compared to like historical norms. Like like what Matt Rule has done at Baylor, I think has drawn has thrown his name in the hat there. But I'm not sure that he do, He wouldn't look at an NFL job first or just stay at Baylor. I don't feel like he's a great cultural fit. He's like yeah. a program builder type. Right.
3: That's what I was saying too. To you is we. Florida State, I don't think needs like a PJ Fleck type or Matt Rule type. But like you're not trying to raise up this program. You know, you're trying to kind of resurrect what's already a great program. I got. I think you want somebody with more experience, like a Bob Stoops type. Even though I don't think he would take it. To me, that type of hire would make more
2: sense. You need um, a you know what swinger on the recruiting trail. Someone who's an ace in that regard and you know I think some people have brought up like Matt Campbell I think X's and O's uh, I think he'd be a great hire but I we haven't seen proof that he is that ace uh, recruiter type and he hasn't done anything as far as like innovations the way that like maybe a Joe Brady at LSU um, the guy who is being basically credited with turning this offense into an absolute juggernaut I think that he would be an interesting name but like some yeah some of the other coordinators we we're still kind of waiting on them becoming the hot names. And it almost feels like because that's the case, there's going to be Mm -hmm. some invented hot names here in the next couple of weeks, ones that, you know, you, you really have to kind of do some mental gymnastics to convince yourself. Yeah, no, that guy should be the coach at Florida state. Okay. I'm going to throw out a
3: name, not necessarily even for Florida state, but like just somebody who I I think at some point might make a jump somewhere else. Like, what about Chris Peterson? And his his name has kind of faded away a little bit these last couple of years. Washington's been semi-disappointing, you know, since going to the playoff. But I mean, he could have basically had any job he wanted when it opened up based on what he did at Boise State. I mean, he was the guy for so long and probably stayed at Boise State longer than most guys in his position would. Right. Um, You know, and the jump to Washington, I, I felt like was somewhat underwhelming. I mean, guys in his position, I mean, he was Tom Herman like times two. Like He had more results than Tom Herman had. And to take a what was at the time like a fairly mid-level Pac-12 job you know I mean he's a guy who could have had USC could have been a Texas type of guy it always kind of felt like why did he take this job like it's not a bad job but it's not a blue chip you know six-star prestige on NCAA football (laughs) type of job so like he's always somebody I know he signed through I think 2023 on his latest extension but we know that doesn't really mean all that much for for a lot of programs like whether it's Florida State or someone else in the in the near future, I do wonder if, if Peterson is still on the radar to make that leap into like a truly, truly blue blood type of school.
2: I think USC makes more sense to me for, for when it comes <clears throat> to Peterson. I know the the optics of looking like a trader by going into your own conference. Um, but Pe- Peterson, like you said, um, is a guy that that is worthy of one of those high, high prestige jobs. And he's shown that he can operate at every single level along the ladder. And it, he, to me, he strikes me more of as a true blue West Coast guy. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I, think that, I think he's a California native. So I'm pretty sure that naturally i think it would fit a little bit better for him to go to usc where he already knows the recruiting fr- footprint i think that that does matter a lot honestly mm-hmm. if if you can know the landscape a bit he's gotten really good players out of the state of california uh since getting to washington and he, he was getting good guys at boise state even um from some of those blue blood states so i think he at U- or peterson at usc would be an awesome hire we'll see what usc ends up doing as far as hanging on with helton i know they have the the weirdness with the ad and ad who apparently has eyes for urban meyer and understandably so but if you strike out on urban meyer maybe back up the brinks trucks for <clears throat> peterson man urban meyer is basically
3: living like my life on NTA football <laughs> i mean he's just done it all he's done it all like he's just hopping from great program to great program bringing in awesome recruits uh um, being
2: the being the item of like 10 different fan bases like fantasies
3: yeah. he's yeah it's and like still like outrunning all these scandals that are like really bad and yet don't seem to affect his, nope. his legacy nope. or teflon his, dude yeah it's uh it's impressive do you want to real quickly just run through um
2: what few uh big games we had in week 10 before we look ahead uh the georgia bulldogs uh, defeating the florida gators for the, for the third year in a row um that's three times in a row uh a seven point victory not as much as maybe the the game itself w- would suggest, but I, I thought it was a pretty thorough dominant win uh, from Georgia. Uh, Georgia 12 for 18 on third downs. Uh, they absolutely killed uh, Florida in that regard. At, when Todd Grantham, the defensive coordinator now at Florida, was at Georgia, everyone would always say third and Grantham because he just constantly blitzes when it doesn't really warrant the situation doesn't really warrant it and teams would always convert the big third down against Georgia and lo and behold he hasn't changed a damn thing and and it really it broke Florida's back over the course of that game Florida's offense I don't think did enough to to really make it matter but I mean anytime that your defense is giving up uh 66 percent of their third down conversions you're 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 really behind the eight ball there Georgia's defense also has not given up a rushing touchdown this year through eight games first team in 20 years to accomplish that feat so pretty good stuff from georgia so i'm back in i was
3: gonna say you sound like you're way back in you picked them to lose this game you've been down in the dumps since that south carolina game but you are fully back i can tell by the tone of your voice
2: yeah man i mean i think that defense is just going to give anybody problems they're they're extremely deep the the kirby smart recruiting train over the last few years really has paid off on the defensive depth and the offensive line is is really good too Uh, we still haven't even seen that run game truly break free just yet but could happen Lawrence Cager earning his uh, his pinstripes once again he he was awesome in that game that that game will probably get him in the Georgia Florida Hall of Fame uh so really really impressive effort from him um kind of carrying the passing game by his own uh merits there so good win for Georgia I'm back in they're going to beat Missouri I think this weekend pretty handily I would think so um I will be down there for the a and game in a few weeks so looking forward to that um and then uh Utah and Oregon both of them really really damn good i think that they're both deserving of those top 10 rankings oregon going down to usc and really taking care of business a slow sluggish start um, which they need to kind of get out of the habit of doing that but 56 points in three quarters to to end the game was uh pretty emphatic stuff there so impressive by oregon utah their defense is you know, an absolute war daddy too. I think that you could argue, even though Georgia hasn't given up a rushing score yet, that Utah might even have the better run defense. Penn State also has a good argument for that. Penn State giving up less than two yards a carry uh, thus far this season. So um, a lot of power in in that Pac-12 right now. And uh, one last little Pac-12 tidbit. Um, I like to pile on Kevin Sumlin because I think he could have been so much more than what he's turned out to be. But Man, you got housed by Oregon State at home. Uh, you got to wear that one. Yeah, one last
3: shot at, at Kevin Sumlin. Yes, thank you. Um, let's look at the Week 11 DFS slate. Uh, we'll turn to DraftKings, as we always do. Um, Justin Fields is on the slate this week. Uh, based, based on Ohio State's opponents, um, he's kind of bounced on and off the slate week to week, but they get uh, FCS Maryland this week. <laughs> that one is in. Uh, Columbus, Ohio. That is a very bad Maryland defense. And appropriately, Justin Fields is priced at $9,000. Sam Ellinger uh, going up against Kansas State at Texas. He's got a price of 8600 Jamie Newman at 8400 That's kind of tier one, uh, which strangely enough, I mean, you get two of the, the Heisman contenders right now, Joe Burrow and Tua, are both on this slate. But priced a little bit lower uh based i would think largely on on the defenses that are at play here
2: yeah and you know that that bama lsu game has an implied total that i i don't know if we've ever seen that high in that matchup it's like 64 i want to say um i doubt that we've seen much over 50 uh ever and that's (laughs) even with like Tua at the peak of his powers yeah. a year a few ago. A years
3: ago, it was at like four and a half.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Hammer the under. Um, but when it comes to, yeah, this upper tier, I'll, I'll get to Burrow and Tua here in a second. But uh, Fields, the only question is, is sort of similar to like the question you would ask yourself about Jalen Hurts early in the season with Oklahoma. It's like, are they are they going to need him to do all that much for four quarters? Um, I think that Fields is still going to end up being responsible for five touchdowns in this one. I don't know what the ratio to run pass will be, but uh, I think if you're going to fade off the elite part of this Ohio state offense fields is not it fields is the one like Dobbins I can understand some concerns about and I think that you could pivot to master Teague and also do end up doing well I think Teague is going to get a lot of runs so I like him at 5,000 at running back but fields uh man this is such an easy matchup Ohio state coming off the bye they're at home they're 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 all juiced up from being the the number the new number one. They're going to be out to prove it. They're forty four point favorites in this one <laughs> oh, against God. a team that plays in their conference, a real <laughs> live team. So I love Justin Fields this week. I know that he kind of changes the calculus for the rest of your lineups, but love Fields at nine k. When it comes to Ellinger, um, Kansas State can kind of drag the tempo down in the game a little bit there so there's some concern uh with him being able to hit that $8,600 ceiling although Kansas State's defense surprisingly not that good especially against the run um Texas doesn't really have that great running back right now so Ellinger still picks up a big big uh part of the share of the rushing uh for the Longhorns so that obviously helps him out Jamie Newman uh, has been pretty much automatic all year. I can't make an argument against him. Um, I think that he's in line for another really good game. Virginia Tech pretty bad defensively under Bud Foster in, in his last season. I just don't, I don't know why exactly, but I don't feel like I'm going to have a ton of Newman lineups that, this week uh, at 8,400. I think I'll either go Fields or I'm going to go under 8,000. So before I go under 8,000, Burrow and Tagovailoa, Hard to argue against either of them. I think that both of them are facing, you know, like we said, these are the best LSU and Bama offenses we've seen, right? But they're also kind of the worst Bama-LSU defenses that we can remember in recent history. So Burrow being on the road, I don't think the the moment's too big for him. So, so So I think that he'll end up being fine in this one. I think that, you know, he... He struggled. I'm using air quotes against Auburn. Um, I think Auburn has a better defense than Alabama, one that that can give LSU more fits. Um, So I think that Burrow ends up having a better game against Bama on the road than he did at home against Auburn. So can't really argue against Burrow in this one. Uh, Tua, you know, the ankle is going to be the the big question there. But I think that, you know, if he's he's good to go, and I imagine he will be, he's probably in a hyperbaric salt chamber right now just (laughs) sensory deprivation yeah just floating (laughs) um with with dr james andrews like casting spells all around him (laughs) and, and yeah shaking a stick at him um i think that yeah that should be fine for tua but I probably won't use a ton of him. I think you could make an argue for like a, a game stack with Burrow and Tua, but I probably won't do that. So dropping down a little bit, I like Shane Bouchelle a lot. I, we'll get to this throughout the course of this DFS segment, but smu's offense is awesome and ecu is terrible smu probably a little bit salty after the way that things went down in memphis last week so buchel at 7700 is is a guy that i'm going to have a ton of exposure to uh holton allers on the other side of that game you know just by virtue of it being a high over under smu bad against the pass i think that you could make that case for allers uh max dugan a little bit dinged up for tcu i've been going to that well a fair bit recently but uh The fact that he's dinged up and going up against Baylor's defense, maybe stay away this week. I'm buying back in on Jaden Daniels as my value pick uh, at quarterback 6,200. USC, pretty mediocre across the board in terms of their defense. I think that there's a lot to like about this Arizona State offense in general. And I think that we're starting to see – we're starting to see Daniels kind of evolve past that those freshman mistakes that he was making uh, earlier in the season I know that if you look at his box scores that that game against Utah is a huge eyesore Um, but if you look past that he's been really crisp lately Uh, he was really surgical against UCLA a few weeks back before the bye this game being at home I love Jaden Daniels at 6200 and if you can you know justify using that as your uh, super flex and use another quarterback under 8k you have a lot of Money to play with for some really primo uh skill position guys so that he's probably my favorite and slash lowest i'll go at the quarterback spot all right looking at running backs uh not a
3: fantastic slate of running backs here you have aj Dillon, who's by far uh the highest priced player on the slate he's at 8700 and then right below him is the guy he'll be opposing uh for florida state cam Akers, he's at 78 uh a slew of guys kind of in that 65 to to 74 range jk dobbins you know benjamin uh pinnix at ecu um then you get Najee harris you know going up against that that lsu defense which still a very good defense maybe not all world lsu caliber and i mm-hmm. think the same could be said about but alabama mm-hmm. um, with some of the injuries i think kind of finally catching up to that roster uh where are you looking at running back on this slate
2: I'm going to go a little bit pricier. I'm not going to try to get too cute at running back here. So starting things out with Akers, the Acres dillon d- discussion. Uh, Akers, almost $1,000 cheaper going against the third worst run defense on the slate in terms of yards per game allowed. Um, I know that a lot of people make make a lot about A.J. Dillon and how much he owns that Boston College backfield. 50% of the of the rushes are his in that backfield, which is a ton. Don't get me wrong. Anything over 40 for a running back, is entering workhorse territory, but we saw last week David Bailey is worth giving some looks to in, in that Boston College backfield. Whereas with Acres, it's a true monopoly. He's closer to sixty percent of the rushing share, so really nobody opposing Acres for touches. Th- he's like the absolute engine of that offense, and especially the the run game specifically. And he he's also good in the passing game. So yeah, I love Acres at seventy eight hundred. It's going to be hard to go away from him. And I think Dylan, by virtue of him being too expensive, I think that Florida State might be a little bit too a little bit fired up here with with uh, taggart gone they're going to want to go and play hard for Od- odell Haggins, i think is the interim head coach there so i i sure. like i like acres and i think the dylan is a bit of a trap this week i think maybe the price will keep that ownership down anyway but even investing in him don't love that i mean um, he's
3: coming off like a ron Dane level workload it was in syracuse yeah, was-
2: 35 for 242 yes i was i remember being on the on the xm show and just kind of having that box score open in the corner of my eye and bailey was actually like outproducing dylan for a while and it's like dylan would have twice as many carries but just like wasn't getting it done but eventually syracuse got got really tired of yeah. tackling that refrigerator it's of a human being is awesome second game in three weeks with over 42 draftings points yeah. yeah so so dylan's been awesome like that there's no doubt that he's worth that price at this point it's just like acres coming off that shaky week i mean he absolutely killed syracuse's defense too so i mean the, it, the common not. Dominator over those last couple of weeks with acres monster game two weeks ago Dylan last week is just Syracuse I think more, more than anything else both mm-hmm. those guy's talented but Syracuse can really help your numbers um, Dobbins like I said uh, I just worry about the workload I think that he could do you know a hundred yards on seven carries uh, to, and two touchdowns against Maryland if, if that does it for you then then cool but I, I think that there are just other running backs that project for higher workloads that are a little bit safer um, and again I also like Master Teague at five thousand a little bit bit of salary relief. Um Xavier Jones is one of the more interesting guys on the board because he's coming off his first real dud of the season up against Memphis last week. Um and I think that could end up being a blessing in disguise because if he went off against Memphis, we'd probably see him closer to 8000, but the fact that he was really muted against East Carolina I think that, that that helps his price. He's only 7,200. East Carolina gives up 204 rushing yards per game. That's the worst on the slate. So this is just a big buying opportunity for Xavier Jones. Uh, you know, Trust the track record. Tra- trust what kind of workload he was getting in the production he was doing uh, before last week's game. Kind of remove that Memphis game from your memory, and I, I think that Xavier Jones is an awesome play at 7,200. Any guys you like, uh, let's say under 6K, um i think LeMichael michael p ryan is interesting because you know at 5900 florida's not a great run running team they don't have a great offensive line or anything it's just a matter of vanderbilt being really really bad you know so vanderbilt um they're going to the swamp florida i imagine is going to be in a foul mood uh go, going up against vanderbilt and wanting to just absolutely smash them so um i think that yeah i think that they're in deep trouble and p ryan just doesn't really have enough of a, of a great track record this season to where I imagine uh, his workload or his ownership percentage is going to be that off the charts. He'll be a nice little uh, sub 6k running back that ends up being, you know, less than 15% owned in tournaments that could end up giving you like two touchdowns in over 100 yards. Let's turn to the wide receiver position, uh, as we
3: always do. And looking at this slate, not like one clear top option you know sage sarah says 7500 uh you get a little smu exposure at the top you got some denzel mims a a fantastic name as we just continue to run through an incredible season in college football (laughs) names uh jerry judy is at 6500 uh jefferson for lsu is at 7000 um you can kind of take your pick with the bama guys excuse me the bama guys as usual um but again you know you have to factor in the matchup so where are you looking this week
2: so as the man who uh has the jerry judy fathead in his apartment can you explain for me what how he only has like 13 yards of catch this year what's going on (sighs) brother?
3: he's it's been a little bit of a downward trend since like week three they they you know they've they have too much talent i think is that possible it is um You know, I read that. Did you see ESPN did a feature on the Alabama receiving core, which is it's been a really banner week for me personally with journalism coming out. They're doing a whole rollout on the athletic uh, for Ron Dane celebrating the 20th anniversary of him breaking the record. So there have been like four bangers already this week. (laughs) The the Meryl
2: Streep gif that you posted yesterday was so good. Yeah, (laughs) louder.
3: I've never like agreed more with an article. There was one where they, they just pulled all these quotes from people around the program, people around the country about how ridiculous it is that Ron Dane's not the leading rusher. Um, and you can, you know, everybody knows the story there, but there was another one that was somewhat of like an oral history. It wasn't in that form, but it was basically what it was of the day and the lead up to Ron breaking the record. And I was tearing up at my desk. I didn't even, there was no videos involved or anything. Just reading it made me, made me tear up because Ron is such a good guy. Hell yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, and then to follow it up with like my like number one interest story of college football this year is this Alabama receiving core. Uh, that was a really cool article. I don't know if you've had a chance to read it yet. But so
2: is the bottom line that maybe Jerry Judy's just the worst at rock paper scissors, and that's why he's not producing so well?
3: More or less. I mean, I, th- mm. I think he's still producing pretty damn well. I think it's just everybody else is so good that. You know, one of the points made in the article was, you know, this isn't a Julio Jones or Calvin Ridley especially situation or or Mari Cooper was kind of like that too where there is a clear one and then there's, you know, guys like Robert Foster who are good but nowhere near that level. It's like Judy's great but Ruggs is awesome, Waddle's awesome, Devontae Smith is awesome.
2: Devontae Smith has had a huge year. Like, you know, I think out of the four, if we were power ranking them coming into the year, we probably would have put Smith fourth. And it took us a while to kind of change our tune there. But, yeah, Smith – kind of absorbing a lot of the a lot of the water in that in that offense especially that that old miss game when he caught like all five of the touchdowns touchdowns. you know it's just that that kind of stuff has been happening to judy
3: right well he's like you said i think it's fair to say smith is like the fourth of those guys or at least like the fourth most exciting because the other three are just all world in terms of what they can do but he's the one who caught the touchdown in the national title game and he's the one with the five touchdown game so like judy i guess has kind of been the most consistent and he's considered the best prospect for you know for obvious reasons but he hasn't put up like the highlight highlight numbers and i i actually after reading last night kind of looked back at alabama receivers of the last 5 or 10 years and like julio jones was not quite as dominant statistically as i thought like his his most catches in a season was like 60 64 maybe um like the numbers would imply that ridley and Amari Cooper were like way better than Julio Jones, and I, I just clearly that's not the case. You know, I think Julio's just almost in a class of his own among Alabama receivers and among all NFL receivers. Um, and I, I think it's kind of the same case with Judy, where the numbers won't necessarily reflect like just how good he is.
2: Yeah, that's probably fair. And yeah, when it comes to Julio, uh, it's crazy that it's only like a ten years ago or whatever. But you really do have to kind of like do a era adjustment for it because right, you know yeah. it's like yeah, sixty catches like that just shows the you know what Alabama was working with as far as its run game and its philosophy and, and what it was working with at quarterback we didn't see Alabama with a good quarterback until two, like 2016 with Jalen Hurts
3: yeah. And I think a lot of people would probably tell you that Jalen Hurts wasn't even that good of a quarterback. I mean, I, he I wasn't. Now he that, is. But, I mean, compared to it. Yeah. Where's Jalen Hurts uh, NFL stock at, by the way, as someone who follows this closer than I do?
2: It's up. I mean, it's definitely like he's going to get drafted now as a quarterback, I think. Um, and I think every single week um, that, that he continues to put up good tape and every single week that we continue to see more wide open philosophies and concepts in the NFL, you can more and more talk yourself into Jalen hurts and his playmaking abilities. Um, I'm not still not like totally sold on the arm strength, but like the poise, like he's got incredible intangibles on top of being, you know, maybe the best athlete on the field every time he steps on there. So there's a lot to like about Jalen hurts game. I I would be surprised if he, you know, ends up going out, the the first three rounds in the draft at this point do you buy the like Lamar Jackson has unlocked things for guys like Jalen Hurts who's
3: you know a much different player than Lamar Jackson but just non-traditional quarterbacks in general like seeing someone like Lamar
2: I hope so you know I think that you know we we don't really know what's next Lamar is is sort of the first of his kind it feels like Mm so um I hope in the in the years to come that we see teams be less risk averse to these like really you know special yeah. athletes at playing the quarterback position.
3: Yeah, I think it was Jordan Palmer was on I think it was Russell's pod a couple weeks ago and he was it, this was you know right after Lamar had, had one of his big games and he he had mentioned like his era of quarterbacks like how many guys would have gotten a shot. You know, like the two guys he brought up were Troy Smith and Chris Leak who just never really Leak especially got no shot None. in yeah. the NFL and like guys who were dominant at you know in college and just never even you know there wasn't even talk of like well maybe he could play receiver it was like no we're not even considering you like how many great like omar jacobs at bowling green like pat white yeah pat white he pat white walked so lamar jackson could run Mm. yeah there's so many guys from that era (laughs) that i would would
2: love to see a do-over um anyway receivers i think that's where we were right i think so yeah (laughs) yeah sorry tell me who you like um so yeah i really like going back to the smu well um it'll be interesting to see how you are able to to measure out your lineup and and how much exposure you can get to this offense, because I think it is going to be awesome. Uh, James Prochet, 7,300, um, He's a guy that has been seeing a ton of work, Um, obviously, with Reggie Roberson still being dinged up. uh, Sonny Dykes didn't sound overly optimistic about his chances of playing again this week. So that means that Prochet should be locked in for 14 or more targets. That's what he's done in four of his last five games, seven touchdowns in his last five. Again, East Carolina, terrible. Um, And then if you wanted to go down a little bit further um, at the receiver spot, you actually go to the tight end. Kylan Granson, uh, 4,600 kind of a little bit of like bigger, not as fast Evan Ingram to his game over the last couple of weeks. I think he scored in three consecutive games uh, for them. So he's become that number two option in that offense that is really explosive. So I love those two guys if I'm going after SMU um, on the heavy there. Um, Tamori Terry, a guy that I feel like I always end up talking about because I he's always underpriced. It feels like 6,100, going against boston college you're probably not going to use them in the same lineup that you use cam acres but 6100 boston college terrible passing passing uh, defense so there, there's enough to like there um going down like uh, under 6k cj johnson of east carolina just saw 21 targets in his last game uh, averaging 10.8 targets per game over his last five and it's not just the empty calorie like zay jones like tons of catches not a lot of yards like he's doing 11 yards per target um with those looks. So I really like that and if there's one place to attack that SMU defense, it's in the secondary. Uh pardon me for drilling in the background. No. <laughs> so much construction going on.
3: I thought we were safe. Yeah, but we uh we we just expanded our offices. We basically forged a hostile takeover of the people across the hall. Yeah. Booted them out of there, took over their office, bullied them, called think, them nerds. I think today we're getting the TVs mounted on the wall over there, which is what you hear. So yeah.
2: So please bear with us, bear with us there. Um, I'll, I'll make this quick the rest of the way. Colin Johnson of Texas third on the slate in targets per game since he returned from that injury, 12 targets a game in that stretch. Um, he's still under six K. So uh, both both C Johnson's in this slate I like a lot um Chris Olave 5900 you probably don't figure him for more than like five or six targets in this one just because Ohio State might you know kind of just empty the bench here but he's a really explosive player and you know he did a lot of damage against Wisconsin so you got to buy that talent and its ability to translate against Maryland uh Brandon Ayuk I think is how you pronounce his name I I Need to get a good pronunciation of his name because he's going to get drafted in the NFL. He's uh, 5,800, 13.2 yards per target uh, since week five. Uh, That's the fifth best mark on the board. He's 5,800 going up against USC. Um, So, especially if you're buying what I'm selling on Jaden Daniels, then I think uh, getting Ayuk under 6K is pretty awesome. If you can talk yourself into a Kansas State receiver, also. Um, I would, rec- I would recommend that because Texas probably has the worst pass defense on this slate. Skylar Thompson, an okay passer. Maybe it's Dalton Shane. Maybe it's Malik Knowles. One of those guys should be able to get it done through the air for you. So I- I'm more hitting like the sub six K at the receiver and trying to get, you know, one to two of those premium uh, running backs. Cause I think that, that for once I I've been able to find more value at receiver than running back uh, for this week. So that's kind of how I'm going to play yeah. it out.
3: All right, do you want to run through the usual... FanDuel observations as opposed to
2: the DraftKings slate. Sure. So it's a, again, it's a it's a larger slate than we usually see. They they have Lynn Bowden of Kentucky properly listed as a quarterback now, so you don't get that like cheat code third quarterback in in, in your receiver spot anymore. So kudos to DraftKings for be for FanDuel for for being smart on that. Um, but you know there there's some other games in there to to really like Jonathan Taylor, only the fifth highest priced running back. I know that Iowa's been awesome against the run, but. That that guy's had two weeks to stew on Ohio State. I think he's – I wouldn't want to be Iowa this weekend, at least on the defensive side of that game. Uh, Austin Kendall of West Virginia, he's also on the other slate. <laughs> uh, <laughs> That's Jonathan Taylor drilling through the <laughs> Iowa defense. <laughs> <laughs> Folks, um, so – I think the Kendall's someone as an interesting tournament option. I love the Miami run game going up against Louisville, so DJ Dallas is someone that I would heavily consider. And if you go on FanDuel, you also get the option of the Iowa State Oklahoma game. Uh, I know that you can appreciate this comp, but like Jalen Hurts has reached that like when you know when like Russell Westbrook is on like a ten game triple double streak. I do. And the the, the DFS sites just kinda of like dare you to use him. <laughs> That's basically what Jalen Hurts' price is. He's yeah. he's twelve K, like no one else is above ten five. I don't think on, on FanDuel so yep. um, that's kind of what you have to do to get Jalen Hurts it's probably gonna end up being worth it uh, he, I guess he has to hit like 60 for him to be like really really worth it yep. but yeah, it could be could happen against Iowa State crazier things mm-hmm. have happened
3: yeah James Harden got to that level last year too where that's right it's like he can't possibly meet this value and then he goes for 60 11 and 10 and you feel stupid for not using him yep um, okay a few quick things before we hop out of here the Oregon sideline toilet I only briefly saw like a gif of this thing it's basically like the like the pop up medical tent but for toilets right
2: yeah so i, I mean, love the idea I, yeah i love the idea of you know you, the medical tent was a genius thing that, like, Alabama introduced yeah. a couple of years ago. Now everybody has one. So it's like, hmm, how can I use this uh, to take a crap? And, you know, science has allowed us mm-hmm. and technology to have a toilet on the sideline. And I, I'm all for it and good for Oregon. I know that Mark Schlereth was staunchly against it. He's like, you know, these guys have perfectly good pants to pee in, but, you know, sometimes maybe it's a little bit more than that, Mark. So be sensitive.
3: As someone who. Did not play very much uh, in high school football, but who just kind of like out of habit, just drank a lot of water while chilling on the sidelines. So I had nothing else to do. And then always had to pee at halftime. And like in like small town, Wisconsin, sometimes, you know, like when we were played at home, we would go in the locker room and you know I could pee. It was great. There were times we played on the road where there was no locker room in sight and you just kind of had to like chill out on the sideline during halftime. Big trouble. And <laughs> this would have been a huge lifesaver for me. I was circa 2009 uh, in Northeast Wisconsin. So I'm all for it. Um, there's a lot of news last week uh, around this time about the potential return of NCAA football, a video game, you know, I am extremely passionate about, um, probably my favorite video game of all time. Uh, one that was huge in my friend group. So just holds a lot of meaning. Um, I just want to ask you real quickly if it does come back, what are some like modernized features you would want in this game? Because um, it didn't really change very much from like, 08 to 2014.
2: Yeah. I think the advent of the transfer portal and like the, the idea of like roster management uh, mm-hmm. on like a ego level would be yes. really, really fun. Like when you have, you know, two five-star quarterbacks on your team, you know, how, like, how does it affect the team's morale? Especially like if you, if you, if you take an L with the, with the starting quarterback, you know, what do you do with that yep. backup? Do you make the switch? Do you pull the plug that quickly? And then what happens if you don't? Does the other five star leave? So yeah, that that kind of like real life reflection of of oversaturation of talent mm-hmm. at, at one given position, <clears throat> and you know maybe you can build other spots where you know like at Alabama. You can th- people are drawn to go there as a running back because they're not going to get run into the ground anymore. They can kind of stay fresh, like yes. the way that like Damian Harris and, and Josh Jacobs did a, a couple of years ago, mm. or last year, uh, up through those previous years, or like Georgia with like Sony Michelle and, and Todd Gurley and Nick Chubb and like stuff like that. So yep. that kind of that kind of thing would be fun. I, I love like the transfer portal uh, type element. I
3: think they would almost have to. It's become such a big part of college football that it would seem. It wouldn't seem right to not have it you know it's it's a tough thing to perfect you would think in a, in a video game setting but it, if it does come back i think they would they would have to do it um one of the things i i wrote down improper benefits yeah you know, i want to be able and I've, I've said this even five ten years ago we used to joke about this like you should be able to pay pay your players if there's like a risk you know it would say you know, like for example, the game now, like in Madden's kind of like this too, where it's like uh, player X has a wrist injury. You can bring him back in the game, but there's a higher risk that he'll get hurt. Like it should be similar to that for improper benefits. Like this five star recruit will come to your school if you buy him this Bentley, <laughs> but there's a 60% chance you'll get caught and have sanctions. Do you want to do it anyway? And like I think you should just be like, hell yeah, I'll do it. Like who cares? Bruce <laughs> Feldman will notice that he has yeah, a Bentley right. too. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I, I think the integration of uh, criticism from the writers would be great too. Uh, I know like NBA 2K has like, quote unquote real nba twitter personalities who will like tweet at you and stuff in the game like i want fine bomb in this i want you know i want you if you play in the sec you're required to listen to like sec radio on the background while you're playing instead of a soundtrack
2: yes yes (laughs) i love that and gosh what else um Oh, wait, like some like program specific stuff. Like if you, if you opt to like take over Ole Miss, like you have like, like everything you do is way higher risk of yes, getting right. caught. <laughs> it's like, that is the toughest program to win at. I just, I only gave him five grand and now the program is being raised.
3: Yes. I would like a little more realistic, like historical context to some of the programs. I think one of the things that they really emphasized towards the end of the the run of video games was like. The stadium experience so like the you know cut scenes between the games where like the mascots are doing stuff like i want the sooner schooner rolling yeah, over up. like every 10 games you play it like flips over and somebody dies <laughs> like then there's like a vigil and the game is delayed stuff yeah. like that
2: uh ralphie at colorado getting loose <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just goring somebody yeah, like
3: mix mix college football with gta is, is kind of what i'm asking for hell yeah um i think more elaborate like, spring games um where you could work in like promises where it's i, I tweeted this yesterday but like you could promise a recruit that like Lil Uzi Vert is coming to the spring game, and like that would make a big difference. Stuff like that. Um, we, I mean, I could. I, this could be an entirely separate podcast, but I'm, I'm hesitant to get my hopes up until we get some concrete evidence that it's going to happen.
2: Yes, yeah. So the, as of now, these are all pipe dreams. I also think it'd be funny if the game like introduced into its universe. Uh, like its own version of tate martell like the the tate martell recruit that just you know and you got to like track his instagram yes, and yes, exactly. see who he's dming see More who he's tracking, yeah. talking trash what kind of <laughs> terrible sub tweets is he is he chomping out there you better right. not you know swing and miss twice even though right. you get three strikes and then you go ahead and swing and miss twice like just yeah. that kind of that kind of stuff i think like the tate martell personality yeah. in and of itself is worthy of like a wrinkle in right. this game your coach has been involved in a horrible pot uh, you know pop culture scandal
3: how would you like to handle this option one don't do anything stand by him option two double down option three call a <laughs> media liar yeah <laughs> option four get a headache on the sideline whenever your team's losing take a health risk and retire and take the usc job in two years like, uh, yeah i'll take option d <laughs> Uh, all right we got to wrap this up um a lot going on in the studio this construction has, has certainly not helped us these last couple of weeks but the end is in sight enjoy missouri georgia this I weekend do. i'll be sweating out wisconsin iowa with a potential outback bread uh on the line gotta have
2: it dude we, I was, Iowa owns the outback bowl so we got to get wisconsin they back do. in there we,
3: we could slip down to the champ sports bowl if we're not careful oh, uh, but all eyes will be on lsu alabama i am so excited i've not been this excited for a college football game in a while so can't wait